You're listening to the Sports Scramble Podcast, where four friends serve up a weekly plate of sports with a side of SEC bias. Now, here are your hosts, Chet, Jacob, Wade, and Tyler. And hello, everybody, and welcome back into the Sports Scramble podcast. I know the intro says we have four friends serving up a weekly plate. Uh, sorry about that. We're not going to listen to that again. Uh, but <laughs> so good we hey, hear it twice. Yeah, hey, good to hear it twice. Uh, but we are back again on this Wednesday morning. That's whenever we'll have this episode published. And welcome back into another episode of the Sports Scramble podcast. Like the intro says, Four friends serving up a weekly plate, but this week it's only two. As Chet, he's out there and who knows where. And uh, Jacob is uh, coaching up them St. Patrick boys uh, as they compete for a state championship. So I'm with my lone co-host here, Wade. How you doing? Doing great. I mean, just because we don't have all the chefs in the kitchen doesn't mean we can't cook up that plate. So uh, definitely a lot to cover between baseball and the NFL draft uh, this past week. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get right into that NFL draft. We'll kick it right into it. The full seven rounds we got from pick number one to Brian to pick number 259, Mr. Irrelevant. So we'll see if another we have another Brock Purdy situation, uh, Mr. Irrelevant. But what a draft it was. I pretty much watched pick number one all the way through. And we'll just start with uh, round one. We really going through the top five here. We had the Houston Texans uh, pick number two. We had Bryce Young go number one to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, that was to no surprise. I know that you had that a couple of weeks ago here on the show. And then the consensus that this was going to be their guy. And that's what this draft started off. At pick number two, we saw another quarterback, Ohio State's quarterback, C.J. Stroud. He went off the board at pick number two. And that's where we saw a little bit of chaos happen at pick number three. The Houston Texans were back on the clock. They traded back into it. They number 13. The Arizona Cardinals pick, uh, but the Texans were like, the Colts are next. They've been wanting to trade for a quarterback. The Titans have had some calls. The Texans were like, nope, no can do. We're going to go ahead and get the best defensive player and Will Anderson Jr., the edge rusher out of Alabama. And then we saw another quarter to number four, the Indianapolis Colts take Anthony Richardson. Now, I know the tape right there for Anthony Richardson, uh, but there are some scouts that, that really like his athleticism and really love what he can do at the next level. So we'll see what Richardson can do with the Colts. And to round out the top five, uh, we'll, we'll stay in the top five for now. Uh, we'll get our analysis on this. Devon Witherspoon, quarterback out of Illinois. So take me through one through five. What was your biggest surprise in this? Uh, I think if you just look back to my mock draft from a week ago, uh, I had C.J. Stroud being the guy who was sitting there in the green room sliding down the draft board, not because I didn't believe in him. I just thought with the uh, Wonderlick test score result and – um, just kind of the consensus that the Texans would go defense, which they did, uh, but we didn't see him picking twice in the top five. Um, but I think that's a good fit for him ultimately. And uh, with the other two quarterbacks, not much of a surprise. Um, I think the Colts always preferred Anthony Richardson. They just thought he might not be there when they picked. Um, so they were probably 
pleasantly surprised that nobody jumped in there at pick number three. Probably the team that was the most excited when that um, Texans trade was completed was Indianapolis, even though they're division rivals because it it meant their other division rival, the Titans, weren't sliding in there to get uh, their quarterback. So um, overall, I thought it was uh, pretty vanilla. I think the guys we expected to get picked did, uh, minus the Texans trade. I mean, I that was pretty cool. Yeah, the AFC South is shaping up uh, to be an interesting division, especially in the quarterbacks. You know, you already have Trevor Lawrence there. Ryan Tannehill maybe has a couple of years. Uh, but after that, you know, it might be the Will Levis show. And you're going to see a lot of rookie quarterbacks. Uh, you're going to see C.J. Stroud. You don't know uh, what they're going to do with Davis Mills and C.J. Stroud going forward. And the Colts is pretty much an open book. Are they going to go Gardner Minshew this year? Are they going to go with Anthony Richardson? So that's the top five. Uh, we'll just go on the back half now and finish out the top 10 and we'll get into our who won the draft and what were some surprises of the first round and we'll get into some more draft talk as we go here so number six we saw the Arizona Cardinals take uh Paris Johnson Jr the offensive tackle out of Ohio State so Kyler Murray wanted protection well you got it with pick number six and number seven Las Vegas Raiders some people are thinking that is this going to be a quarterback uh, but they did sign Jimmy Garoppolo in the offseason they went with one of the best Ed Rushers in the draft went with Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. And here is where we saw a little bit of shock here. Number eight, B. John Robinson running back out of Texas. Now, the Atlanta Falcons already have two stud running backs with Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier, uh, the BYU running back. He had a phenomenal rookie career. They're like, nope, we need another running back. Might as well get the best one on the board. And they went with B. John Robinson. So he heads to the ATL. And number nine, we saw Jalen Carter, his fell. All the way down to number nine, the Eagles traded up. So a lot of trades in the first round. And then pick number 10 to finish out the top 10 here, Darnell Wright, offense tackle out of Tennessee. Uh, so what pick did you like in that range of the draft? I think the the Jalen Carter pick was a steal all the way down at number nine. Yeah, he's a guy that has some character concerns. I think ultimately this was a good spot for him to land. Um, I think they'll have the mentorship around him to succeed and I don't think there'll be many off the field distractions because they'll be so good on the field that that should have 100% of his focus um you know as Saints fans I think that one stings because that was where the Saints were going to be picking and boy did they need a defensive tackle and they ended up getting one which we'll talk about but uh certainly not a Jalen Carter caliber player so uh that that's the best pick in that range to me uh, the Bijan Robinson pick, I mean, I think you either love it or you hate it. I think it was a little bit of a luxury pick, but let's be real. Arthur Smith loves to run the football as much as anybody. And Tyler Algier, he, he had a good year, but, um, you know, uh, Arthur Smith is looking for that Derrick Henry type player, you know, and uh, Bijan Robinson's probably the best running back prospect since Derrick Henry came out. Um Maybe you could say Fournette. So, yeah, I think that uh, he went out and got the alpha guy. And Cordell Patterson is a nice success story. But at the end of the day, I think he's over the age of 30 and really can't count on him to be much more than a gadget player at this point. So I don't necessarily mind it. And, um, yeah, I think those were the two big takeaways I had from the from that range. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the top 10 of the draft. Now we'll go into who won the draft. So we'll give me your winners of the draft. Doesn't have to be the first round, could be one through seven. So what team do you think that improved their stock heading into 2023? 
I think uh, it starts right at the top with Philadelphia. I mean, they really took some well-known college players, some proven guys. They even signed two really proven cornerbacks in uh, the undrafted free agency in Makai Garner and, um, oh, geez, what's his name that played at LSU? Uh, Eli Ricks. They signed him as well. (laughs) So, um, you know, those are guys that probably should have been drafted and lo and behold, they're signing a free agency deal with uh, Philadelphia. So I think they were one of my winners. The other, I would say the Seattle Seahawks. I liked what they did. Um, You know, I think it was smart of them to not reach on a quarterback. You have Geno Smith this year, build the team. And if Geno's not the guy, uh, then the next year you look into free agency or you hope a guy like Caleb Williams or, um, or Drake may slips to you next year's quarterback class is looking really good. So I like the patience there, go get a good corner, go get the best wide receiver. Uh, and all of a sudden I think they have one of the best skill position groups in the national football league. They even added Zach Charbonnet, who a lot of people had as the number two running back prospect. Yeah, for sure. And like, I agree with you. I think that Seattle Seahawks did a good job. Not only did they get one of the best cover quarters in the draft at pick number 20, they got Jackson Smith and Jigba, but, which I am really high on. I think whenever he's healthy, he's the best receiver uh, in this draft class. I think that uh, the Ravens also uh, picked up a good guy with Zay Flowers, uh, maybe have another toy for Lamar Jackson, uh, which we'll get into in a couple of minutes. I'm going to go to the Houston Texans. I think the Texans, I'm going to focus more on the first round, more in the overall draft. I just feel like those two picks are going to be their future right there. Not only did they have, like, everybody was like, okay, there's going to be a smoke screen that there's, they're going to go for a defender at pick number two. Well, what did they do? They trade up and take a defender anyway. Well, not they that go guy. <laughs> one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. Now, I know they're probably, like, like the Houston Texans had a chance to get the number one overall pick. They ended up losing that game uh, the last week of the regular season, which shifted their momentum into that number two overall. Uh, the Bears were the number one overall pick, and then the Panthers traded up, and that's how they got Bryce Young. So I think all in all, if you're a Houston Texans fan, you got to love this draft. Not only did he get one of the best quarterbacks in C.J. Stroud, we'll see if he can break that Ohio State curse uh, that I've been talking about in the past couple of weeks. I think he has the potential of being one of the top quarterbacks from this draft class. We saw Hinton Hooker go to um, the Detroit Lions. I think that's a tremendous fit for him in Detroit. Get to learn behind your golf. And you also bring in Will Anderson. I think that Will Anderson, he's one of the most consistent linebackers in the country. So I think I got to give an A plus uh, to the Houston Texans. So we're going to continue on with our draft talk. Uh, We're going to now shift our gears uh, to one of our hometown teams, and that is the New Orleans Saints. So we're going to go through all their picks. Uh, now, I know that all these teams uh, went through undrafted free agents. We're not going to go through that. You can just go ahead and type them up on the website. We're just going to cover uh, the in-draft here. So let's start off with the first-round pick, Brian Brzee, the defensive tackle out of Clemson. Now, if you missed us, uh, we talked about this pick uh, on the Belly Up Sports uh, official draft coverage. So a lot of people are kind of – you know, do I like this pick? Do I not? Brzee went through some tragedy. Uh, his uh, sister uh, died of cancer. This was a very tragic uh, story that Brzee is going under. He, not only he has to go through this on the field, but he has to go through all the field issues as well. But 
whenever he is healthy, he had to go through, uh, you know, a torn ACL injuries. He's had multiple injuries throughout his college career, but his first two years, I mean, this is a top 10 talent at pick 29. So what are your thoughts on this pick? Yeah, I think you nailed it there by saying pick 29. I mean, the Saints didn't have to go up and use draft capital to, to get this guy. Um, he fell right to him at number 29. I think if you had him pegged at number 29 before the season started, you would say that that's a steal. So I think this guy probably deserved to be drafted in the top 15 based off of pure talent. I like him better than the guy who Michigan took just a few picks prior um, and Mozzie Smith. So ultimately I would have liked Elijah Clancy, like you had mocked to the saints, but, um, I think this was a good proven guy. I mean, he was the number one recruit coming out of high school, which I know it doesn't always translate, but you know, sometimes, uh, that's just a good indicator. Like look at miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney and, you know, some of these guys that have, have really gone on to have good careers. So. Yeah, I think that Brazil will be able to year one be a ultimate factor for this one, especially with the just the lack of depth that the New Orleans Saints have in the defensive tackle position. Like I mentioned on the show, they lost three guys, Contavious Street. Uh, they did bring back Malcolm Roach as well. They lost Shai Tuttle and David Anyamada, but they're able to reload. You know, they got Kalen Saunders and Nathan Shepard. So I think that Brazil, this is exactly – I was just content. You know, as a Saints fan, I just wanted them – Go defensive tackle and whatever else, you know, if you want to go with an edge rusher like they did in round number two with Isaiah Foskey. Let's go down now to the rest of the pick. So uh, round number two, they picked defensive uh, edge rusher out of Notre Dame, Isaiah Foskey. Round number three, they went with the offensive side of the ball. They just uh, – Condre Miller, the running back out of TCU, he had a tremendous season with the Horned Frogs on their leading their way to the national championship. And, you know, as a, as the Saints went on, you know, the first three rounds, there were no trades, so, which is a shocker if you're part of Houdat Nation. And then and you wake up in day number three, and guess who's on the clock? The New Orleans Saints. They traded up three, I think, three times during this day, uh, especially with one of the players that they traded away that we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. They got Nick Saldaveri, the offensive tackle out of Old Dominion, Jake Hayner, the quarterback out of Fresno State, Jordan Howden, the safety out of Minnesota, and A.T. Perry, wide receiver out of Wake Forest. So out of all those cluster of picks, uh, who's your favorite? Uh, I got to say Jake Hayner sticks out to me because I am curious to see what the Saints want to do um, at, at quarterback. I think this was a low-risk pick, maybe a guy that they valued in their draft process. And like I said, the next year's quarterback class is a little bit deeper, and that would probably – probably be when the Saints would seriously need to consider taking a quarterback, either because Derek Carr didn't work out or, you know, just the mere fact that he's on a three-year deal and you need to get a guy developed. So um, if Hayner works out, then I think you got to steal. If he doesn't, not much of a loss there. Um, but I do like the fact that the Saints made some trades to go to go up and get their guys. And I really like that they went defensive tackle and then defensive end in rounds one and two. I think that was the strategy to take for sure. Yeah, I think that was definitely the strategy to take. And uh, they were able to get, you know, the trades going. You know, they not only, you know, whenever they got defensive tackle, whenever they could go like, okay, you know, we need a running back. Who knows what Alvin Kamara's situation is going to be? Is he going to be suspended? 
They did pick up Jamal Williams as well. So I think putting in Miller, I know that a lot of people had. I know you like Devon A. Chain, the running back out of Texas A&M. I know a lot of fans wanted them to get Tajay Spears. But I think that Miller, the way that you look at his tape, he's not the guy that can just, you know, take off and run. He's a, a bull. And whenever he gets in that second level, that's whenever he can can, can turn it on. So uh, we're going to close the book on the New Orleans Saints. We're going to go back into the NFL draft. Uh, we'll have one more topic here. So let's go back into the first round. What was the biggest surprise of the first round? Uh, gosh, uh, I don't know. You might have to come back to me on this one. I, I, Well, I do have one surprise. I think Jameer Gibbs going that high. Yep was a little bit of a surprise and then my other surprise which is a good surprise was uh jackson smith the jigma going to the seattle seahawks but i really can't blame them because again they didn't trade up to get him they got him at pick number 20 i mean that's just fantastic value so a guy that honestly to me screams keenan allen or tyler lockett um as a player comp i think that's great when you can put him right next to the real tyler lockett so I think those were the two biggest surprises. Uh, but for Detroit, not necessarily getting bad players. I mean, everybody thinks that Jameer Gibbs is going to be an explosive athlete. It's just that I think they probably could have gotten Christian Gonzalez at corner there. And then I think they still could have walked away with Jameer Gibbs at pick 18 and then gotten the guy they picked at pick 18 at like pick 32. So yeah. um, I think they ended up getting some really good players, but the uh, I think they reached a little bit. Yeah, I think the Lions overall had a good draft. It's just like the the where they drafted them. You know, Jameer Gibbs at 12, Jack Campbell, the linebacker of Iowa. I don't think that anybody had that guy going in the first round. I think that my biggest surprise of day one was really only one tight end going in round one. I, there was really three tight ends that were high on. You know, Dalton Kincaid, that's a perfect fit in Buffalo. Put him in, with Josh Allen, you know, you get – Dalton, two Dalton, Dalton squares. You get Dalton uh, Kincaid, and you also get uh, Dawson Knox as well. So, I mean, that is just a perfect pick for them. I had Kincaid either going to the Bills or the Cowboys. I think that the Bills are, is a perfect fit for him. You know, we saw Darnell Washington fall all the way down to the third round. There were some knee injury concerns. He lands with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we that's a great pick um, right there. Yeah, we saw uh, Matthew Mayer as well. The Notre Dame tied in. I thought that he was going to be a lock for a first round. He goes in the first couple of picks in the second round. So all in all, this was a great 2023 NFL draft. They already have way too early drafts already. You know, Mel Kiper and all of them, they're putting out drafts left and right. It's like offseason is like a no-go for them. You know, we like you mentioned, Cale Williams and Drake May. That's going to be a talk of the town. Who are we going to see really lift up their draft status? We're definitely going to find out whenever we get to the college football season. But our NFL draft talk is sponsored by our friends over at Mahler Bros Golf. We all want to look good on the golf course, but it often comes at the expense of feeling good. Mahler Bros Golf has pillows that look good and feel good with their lightweight and stretchy material that hugs your body. You will feel cool while looking just as cool. Their polos are guaranteed to make you look better, but it's up to you to golf better. You hear that right. On a hot summer day on the golf course, there's no polo that you would rather wear than Mahler Bros Golf Signature Polos. Mahler Bros Golf has a large catalog of polos with designs for those who want a loud design and others for those that want a subtle 
and sleek looking design. They also have a fun t-shirts, hats, tumblers, and so much more to make your golfing experience better. Use code BELLYUP at MahlerBros.com for 15% off. That's M-A-H-L-E-R-B-R-O-S.com for 15% off your purchase. All right, so that is our NFL draft talk, but we will keep our talk in the NFL realm. Let's get into some money talk here. Lamar Jackson, after you know we saw Aaron Rodgers get finally traded to the Jets, and now we finally see the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes in. Jackson signed a five-year, $260 million contract with the Baltimore Ravens, which includes $185 million guaranteed. We saw the Baltimore Ravens, like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. They got Zay Flowers, the wide receiver out of Boston College. You know, they still have one of the top tight ends in Mark Andrews. They signed OBJ. So what are your expectations for this Baltimore offense going forward? I think the expectation is they should contend with Cincinnati for the division title. I mean, uh, they just got their franchise quarterback locked up. The Bengals are working on that. Uh, I think the Bengals are a team that is kind of one or two years ahead of where Cincinnati is on the cycle as far as contracts go. And and Cincinnati is going to, you know, see themselves in a situation where they need to extend some of their skill players, um, you know, in the next year or two. So the window is kind of dwindling on the current cast of guys. Uh, I still think Cincinnati is the team to beat in the division. Uh, I think Cleveland will have a better showing this year. And I think the Steelers are kind of a, a toss-up. You know, they're not going to be bad under Mike Tomlin, but there's no question about it. Kenny Pickett is the fourth-best quarterback in the division. So uh, I think this puts Baltimore in good shape. I think um, if they didn't re-sign Lamar, I would say they'd get last in the division. So definitely a good move on their part, getting that done. And I, I really liked Zay Flowers as a prospect, so – I think that if they can get Rashad Bateman to come around, you got Zay Flowers, got OBJ. I mean, I think that that's a pretty good wide receiver core and uh, should help Lamar tremendously. Yeah, I think that there's going to be some untapped potential of this wide receiver class, uh, especially with Rashad Bateman. I think that he went uh, in the start of the season and he he got injured, some injury concerns in, in the past couple of years. Andrews. As well, he had an up and down season as well. So I just think that this offense is ready to get going. We'll see uh, where they go in the running back position. You know, are they going to go with Kenyon Drake? Is it going to be J.K. Dobbins? Can Dobbins have a full healthy season under his belt? We're still yet to see that. Uh, and is I think it's his third year uh, in the NFL. So I think that the Baltimore Ravens, you know, with the defense that they have uh, today, we learned that uh, Patrick Queen uh, they declined the fifth year option. So we'll see if Queen. It's still going to be a Raven uh, going into it. Uh, but I think Lockett, especially with Lamar Jackson, and like we've been saying, you know, it, whenever you have these star quarterbacks, if you saw Jalen Hurts get paid, and now Lamar Jackson's the highest-paid quarterback. So who's going to be next? Is it going to be Joe Burrow? Is it going to be, you know, Justin Herbert? Who knows? Uh, but we're going to go on to another trade that happened uh, during the NFL draft, and that was the Eagles. Continuing on with our Georgia Bulldog train, getting the Detroit Lions running back DeAndre Swift. In the deal, the Lions received a fourth-round pick in 2025 and a seventh-rounder. That was 20, uh, number 219 in this year. And uh, Philadelphia will obviously get DeAndre Swift in Detroit's seventh-round pick. So 
this was going to come ultimately. I think that we saw this happening, especially with the pick at number 12 with Jameer Gibbs. There are just too many running backs. Like you mentioned, uh, Dave Montgomery's already there. Jameer Gibbs is there. So who knows who's going to be RB1. But uh, Philadelphia no longer has Miles Sanders anymore. He's going to be a Carolina Panther. So now that really opens up the door for Swift. He can If he can stay healthy, you know, you got Boston Scott there. You got Kenneth Gainwell there. So are you expecting and uh, are you going to be, you know, your fantasy guy as well? Are you like, going to be liking uh, DeAndre Swift uh, when it's, it comes to fantasy drafts in August and September? Yeah, I think uh, not as a, you know, a surefire first round pick, but I do like his situation a little bit better. I think that Philadelphia is a, a better squad. He didn't have a clear direction in uh, Detroit. I think Philadelphia, Dallas, Baltimore were all spots that I I would want to see DeAndre Swift go to. So um, can't complain about it in that direction. I'm actually contemplating in my head of, as to whether I'd like to trade for him, maybe flip Alvin Kamara for DeAndre Swift. So who do you think is in a better situation in 2023 and beyond? Uh younger DeAndre Swift in both in a crowded Philadelphia backfield or Alvin Kamara, who might be facing the suspension. They just drafted Kendra Miller and brought in Jamal Williams. Yeah, I think that's a perfect point there. I, I think that looking at the two, it would obviously have to depend on the Kamara suspension. I think that if Kamara suspended for six and eight games, that only not only that does that open up the door for Jamal Williams. Uh, so just say that if Jamal Williams gets hurt, then who's going to be the RB one? It's going to be Kendra Miller. So I think that Miller could also be a sneaky pick uh, in fantasy world as well. Uh, DeAndre has less of a competition, I have to say. But Philadelphia running backs, they're going to run it with everybody. We see Boston Scott more than anybody get the one-yard carries at the goal line to steal your fantasy points. And then we see Kenneth Gainwell get like 25-yard catches down the field, and he gets all these points. And, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying this because I had Miles Sanders last year, and I was dealing with this. Yeah. I mean, Sanders <laughs> Sanders is coming off one of his best fantasy seasons. He's going to a place where there's really hardly any competition. So I think that Sanders would also be a good fit as well. So I think that this is a perfect fit. You know, if you're a Georgia Bulldog, you might as well just go to the Philadelphia Eagles because that's who they love. You know, they got Jalen Carter. They got Keely Ringo. They got Nolan Smith. They got DeAndre Swift. They got, like, they might as well just grow some hedges on the lines and just call it Athens Northeast or something like that. It's just would, insane what's happening would, in Philly. Would the Georgia Bulldog faithful trade the Atlanta Braves for the Philadelphia Phillies if it meant they could trade the Atlanta Falcons for the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know if they would do that. I, I think that uh, <laughs> they would rather take the recent success uh, of the Braves, even though the Phillies knocked them out uh, that year. Uh, but, yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't sign Stetson Bennett while they were at it. You know, Stetson's with his former they other with Georgia. another project quarterback. <laughs> yeah, he's with another uh, with uh, Matthew Stafford. But we have one more trade uh, to get to, and then we also have a signing in the NFL, and we'll close the book on the NFL talk. It's been a long one, uh, but that's pretty much in season in the NFL, 365 days. Hey, we only year. get to talk to it, you know, about it for a couple weeks, and then it falls into only baseball again. So yeah, you know, so I mean, after, football on the screen. yeah, after this week, the NFL, we're probably not going to have any talk about it, so we might as well get it in while it lasts. So. Uh, Hotman is now a Denver Bronco. It seems like Sean Payton is just all the reacts from the New Orleans Saints and putting them on the team. We saw Marquez Callaway get traded there. 
And now we saw Adam Trotman. Now Trotman is saying, here was a quote. I'm sure that this will get uh, riled up uh, on Saints fans. He's like, I've been waiting for a little bit for something to materialize and it just happened to happen. For the... And then he says, I feel like I was placed in a box. They put a limit on what I could contribute and felt like I could contribute a lot more. I was primarily used as a blocker. I thought I could do more and it didn't want to get in the way of my career. Trotman, honestly, this dude was not even worth a third round draft pick. I don't think that he really had any. Look at Jawan Johnson. Jawan Johnson's the better tight end of him. And Johnson was like a sixth, seventh round draft pick. So uh, in the yeah, draft. Yeah, give me Jawan Johnson and, and move on. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this worked perfectly for the Saints. Uh, they used this draft pick. I think they got uh, the sixth round draft pick. They took uh, the safety out of Minnesota. Out and uh, so now that Trotman is gone, is the Saint? Do you see the Saints going into the free agency and getting a tight end? Because you know you only have Jawan Johnson, and then after that you have Lucas Kroll and also the go go to gadget player himself, Taysom Hill. Yeah, I I don't think they'll truly commit to Taysom Hill as a full on tight end. Although I do think drafting Keandre Miller, if Alvin Kamara isn't suspended, might lead to seeing less carries for Taysom because that backfield is going to be pretty crowded. I'd rather have him kind of as a fullback tight end um, rather than at running back. Cause I think you could work Camara in kind of as a slot receiver too. So I think you could get really creative there. Um, but yeah, I think they need to add at least one other player just to, to build up the depth. I mean, the question is, is who who do you go get? Because we already saw Dalton Schultz sign elsewhere. We already saw uh, Hayden Hurst sign within the division at Carolina. So, and Mike Jacecki, another tight end that was rumored to be on the move. He's now a Patriot. So, I, I just don't know where you go to get a tight end. Uh, and I think another team that's going to be looking to sign a tight end is Cincinnati. So, if you're a free agent and you're picking between the two, I would much rather go play with Burrow and Cincinnati. So it's going to be uh, interesting, but yeah, I think that is a position that needs to be addressed. Yeah. I think just think that this is much of a shock that I didn't, I thought that they for sure was going to draft a, a tight end, you know, not, I wasn't expecting to go in the first round, you know, as soon as I saw Darnell Washington fall, I just thought that the saints uh, were just going to, use it, uh, you know, use their either their third round pick or their second round pick, uh, either getting the Notre Dame tied in or not. So we'll see if they'll, they'll stick with those three guys. Uh, but I just think that they're going to go into free agency. I just think that uh, if Foster Morrow was healthy, he would have been the guy uh, to come in. You know, he was Derek Carr's uh, former teammate. Uh, we're definitely uh, thoughts and prayers uh, out to Morrow and his speedy recovery and trying to battle out. That as well. So that's going to close the book on NFL talk. We spent 30 minutes of it and we're back to the all season now. We have the NFL draft. It's over free agency. There's pretty much not going to be anything out of that. So next thing we'll have is a schedule preview that will be out on May 11th. We'll know. Well, all of our 32 will be playing for the 2023 season. All right, let's shift our gears. Let's get into who got that dog in him. weekly segment on who got that all right wade who you got all right so we talked a lot about nfl i got to kick it back to baseball since that's what's in season 
This one's a performance. Who got that dog in? I'm going with Estuary Ruiz. He is a outfielder for the Oakland Athletics. He had four stolen bases in one game. That's pretty, pretty cool. You know, you don't see guys run as much anymore. So four stolen bases in one game. And it was pretty cool because it was a left-handed pitcher. So staring right at him as he was in the stretch and there was nothing he could do to stop him. Um, just watching him take that lead and, and take the base. So that was pretty cool to watch uh, him rack up those stolen bases. He had 85 stolen bases in the minor leagues last season. So he could be on a record-setting pace. He already has 11 this year. Well, let's be honest. That's going to be the only thing that the A's are going to get. Let them run wild. That's all they got. <laughs> yeah, that's all they got. So congratulations to the Oakland A's. You won an award. Who got that dog in? Am I? Only appearance you'll get all year. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll, yeah, they're, what are they, like 6-23 and 23, uh, right now? And like one of the worst starts uh, in baseball, you know, Brent Rooker, though, is having a phenomenal year. But, you know, by June, he'll probably get traded to a contender and they'll get a couple of picks out just rot in the double A and the triple A. Uh, but going to my dog of the week, I'm going to go with the SEC player of the week in college baseball. And that is none other than the best player in collegiate baseball, Dylan Cruz, a phenomenal series against Alabama. He had 429 on the weekend, 6 of 14, two home runs. We saw two cruise missiles go for launch, eight RBIs, and five runs scored. So I know we haven't done a, a collegiate baseball player here in this one. Uh, you know, we saw Tommy Tanks a couple of weeks ago on it. Ty Floyd got one. And now Dylan Cruz is in it. Uh, so he continues to get accolades, whether it's through the SEC themselves or it's through Sports Scramble. And speaking of college baseball, that's where we're going to go next. And that's kind of why I went with our dog of the week player here in Dylan Cruz. And let's go, speaking of Dylan Cruz, let's talk a little bit about LSU baseball, and then we'll get into the rest of the SEC. Since we're running tonight's show like SEC Talk, we're going to give some Southern flair to this type of segment. So LSU baseball gets the second consecutive sweep against Alabama, but it didn't come easy. In the Friday night game, we saw Paul Skeens do Paul Skeens, you know, get nine strikeouts, only let up a couple of runs. He had two run runs on the night. Uh, LSU's offense really had one of their best weekends uh, of the year so far. They put up eight runs in that game. Alabama, like I mentioned in the Bayou Bingo Bites, uh, Alabama's offense was one of the best in the SEC and honestly in the country. They ranked number two in all categories in the SEC. What really was concerning me for this Alabama team heading into the se season uh, was their pitching staff. Uh, they lost a lot of their key starters either to Tommy John surgery or just, uh, you know, surgeries uh, that ended up ending their season. So I got to give credit, though, to Alabama. I mean, whenever they were down eight to two uh, going into the top of the knife, they rolled all the way back to uh, they scored four runs in that game to make it eight to six. But in the end, uh, LSU was able to seal the deal in game number one. Game number two, you go to that, it was pretty much an offensive slugfest. Uh, but uh, taking that one, and then you go to Sunday game. I mean, you thought that offensive slugfest was on Saturday. It was on Sunday. I mean, Alabama goes up two to nothing in the, the top first. Uh, you know, Christian Little uh, was battling as well. Ty Floyd had some troubles uh, in game number two as well. And you just saw what LSU does best. They keep clawing back and clawing back. They were down to, they were down in both games by five runs in the in the second game, by four runs in the third game, and their offense just continued to roll on. They had a six-run inning that vaulted them 
Uh, so LSU sweeps the series. So where were your key takeaways uh, from the Tigers' uh, second consecutive sweep in SEC play? A lot of offense, not a lot of pitching. Um, I think that ultimately will come back to bite Ellis. But if you're winning games at your worst, sometimes that is a good sign. I mean, that back-to-back sweeps, they're getting it done. We know the offense is going to play well, but I do think that when it comes to Omaha, they will be – uh, tempered just a little bit, and I think that we're going to need some pitching to step up and, um, you know, to go out there and put 10 runs on on quality opponents for two weeks straight. So got to get a, a second guy to step up. I'd feel a lot better about this team if Ty Floyd was our Sunday guy and we notified one too, but sometimes Ty Floyd is just as if he is our Sunday guy. Uh, I'm okay with going to a committee on Sunday if it if it's effective, but um, just got to have somebody separate from the pack, you know. And I don't know who it's going to be. Uh, I I like the potential with Christian Little. I just don't know if he has the uh, stamina to go five innings. But if he could give LSU three to four solid innings just to get off to a good start, then bring in Riley Cooper or something. That might be the recipe for success. Yeah, I mean, this bullpen and this, like, the after Paul Skeens, it's just like, you're just praying. I mean, like Lynn Rollins said, like, all these LSU fans need blood pressure just walking, you know, watching these games. I mean, last weekend we were talking praising Ty Floyd. You know, he went eight innings, only let up a three-run home run uh, against Ole Miss. Then he come to this weekend, and he gives up five runs in like four innings and then he's out the game and they had to go to the bullpen early. So it's pretty much two straight games where LSU had to go to the bullpen early, much earlier than they wanted to, you know, Christian little and Ty Floyd both struggled with walks, especially little. I mean, he had more balls than strikes thrown. So that's definitely a concern as well. Uh, The bullpen on the other side, I think that you saw Griffin Herring, he's continuing to be one of the best freshmen on this roster, you know, Riley Cooper, was, uh, you know, starting to pitch better this weekend, uh, especially in that game number three. He had a couple of key strikeouts. Uh, bases loaded. Man was threatening. He did give up a two-run home run to put the score at 14 to 11. Good thing they got those insurance runs in the bottom of the eighth. And I think that one of the key surprises this season was Alex Malazzo. I think that he is definitely turning it around the offensive side. You know, we saw Hayden Travinsky in game number two. He hit a three-run bomb, so he hit another – uh, you know, be the hero. Last week, we last strike, hits a three-run bomb. He's just the king of three-run bombs. So I think that LSU just continue to handle their business, and the bullpen is definitely going to be concerned. If there's anything that's going to keep LSU from going uh, from Omaha, it's going to be this bullpen because I think that Paul Skeens, uh, whenever, whoever you face, it's going to be tough for, to beat this LSU team, especially – with a guy like Skeens on the mound. But if you're going to get LSU in the postseason, it's going to be in game number two and game number three because you don't know what you're going to get. Are you going to get the Ty Floyd that wheeled and dealed against Ole Miss? Or are you going to get the Ty Floyd that, you know, gives up a couple of home runs every now and then? So if LSU is going to these hat and, you know, they have a couple of key guys on the injury, you know, you're not going to get Chase Shores. He's done for the year. Garrett Edwards is unlikely to come back as well. So that's pretty much the big question mark surrounding this LSU team. And I will go on to the next uh, part of our show. We'll look at the SEC, the whole part of the SEC baseball. Let's look at LSU's next opponent and what they did, Auburn, 
they went on the road. I think that they surprised everybody and took two out of three in Columbia, South Carolina. South Carolina, I know both of us are very high on them. And good for them because they didn't move one bit in the polls. They're still the number three team uh, in the country. They have number one RPI in the country. The top three RPIs are South Carolina, Kentucky, and LSU. But Auburn starting to play really good baseball at the right time. They still are on the bubble. They probably need to get to that 14 to 15 SEC win mark if they want to feel good about their chances. But Auburn's offense is raking. They score like 40 runs in the past two series uh, against South Carolina, Mississippi State. The next team that we'll talk about is Tennessee. They continue their sweep as well. Uh, last weekend, they swept Mississippi State. They go, actually, this weekend, they swept Mississippi State. But last a top five team in Vanderbilt. So, are you starting to see uh, some 2022 Ole Miss vibes from the Tennessee team? Yeah, I, I certainly do. I think that they're getting hot at the right time. Uh, we knew they had the talent, but they did have a lot of roster turnover, um, and and their pitching is trending in the right direction. And I think that as you're seeing some of these other teams lose guys to injury and uh, you know, just guys losing their command, uh, Tennessee's starting to hone it in. So I think Tennessee uh, could easily win the SEC tournament. I think teams like South Carolina and LSU have more talent and potential overall, but I would not want Tennessee lined up across from me in the bracket. Yeah, I mean, this Tennessee offense is really going forward. I think that what Tennessee was struggling on in the first couple of SEC series, their starting pitching was really rusty out the gates. You know, Chase Dolander, like the first SEC weekend of the, of the year, we saw them get swept by Missouri. And then after that, they just kept on, you know, they lose a the series uh, to LSU. They lost a couple of series in between. But now you're starting to see this Tennessee team start to play like, you know, they were the number two team in the preseason polls. I think that looking at the start of the season, you know, they lost a couple of guys, uh, most of their starting roles in the starting lineup. But when you were looking at this team, one through three, looking at their starting pitching, I think what's really changed is that they moved Chase Burns into the bullpen. He's pretty much their closer. I think that's uh, what's really going to set them up uh, for a deep run. So uh, Tennessee's right now, I don't think uh, if you had to ask back in a host, they can definitely play their way into host. And uh, they're 10 and 11 overall in the SEC. They probably have to get to 17, 18 wins to be in that hosting range uh, discussion. But you do not want to see this Tennessee team in your regional, especially if they're a two seed, especially with a guy like Chase Dolander leading off and the guy like you got is, uh, throwing a game number three. So, the final question I have for you, and we'll close the book here on the SEC. When it's all said and done on Memorial Day weekend, whenever we have the selection show, how many and what SEC teams will get the national seat uh, nod? Well, I think I'll just count it out here as I go. I think LSU, South Carolina, and Florida, Florida and Vanderbilt are all probably locked. So that's four. Arkansas is going to be right on that line. I think – are you talking – Top eight or top 16? Probably top 16, huh? Uh, top eight. Top eight, okay. Yep. I think just those four for the top eight, I I think that uh, Wake Forest will snag a spot. 
I think you'll see a mid-major like an East Carolina or a what a UConn. I saw they were in the top ten now. I think Coastal one of Carolina's them will, the top ten team too. Yeah, I think that uh, at least one of them will will slide in there, and then uh, you you could see Arkansas uh, slide up there. Um, but I'm sure I'm missing like Stanford or somebody that you know a good west coast team as well so i'll give four of the eight to the sec what about yourself i think that the sec is going to have probably half of those uh eight that lsu if they take care of business they're probably going to be the number one overall seed now the number one overall seed hasn't won the national championship since forever so i i don't know if Maybe LSU fans would rather want the number two seed, but if you take care of business, then you're going to be the number one seed. I think that Florida is going to be in there as well. Uh, South Carolina is going to be in there. I think that Vanderbilt, I think there's going to be five. I think that Arkansas, if they take care of business as well, they still have some tough series going ahead. I still think that they have to play uh, South Carolina to finish off the year as well. So I think that there's going to be, there's of the eight, and that would just be in. You know, your other three would probably be Coastal Carolina Forest and then probably one of the Pac-12 teams, whether that's Stanford, maybe uh, an USC uh, pops up in there as well. So it's definitely going to be a loaded SEC. I would not be surprised if we see half of the field be SEC in Omaha as well. Just how good this conference has been uh, this year. You know, even with the bottom teams, that is surprising as well. Mississippi State and Ole Miss. And those two teams just won a national championship as well. So this this conference has just been loaded. So now that to our college college baseball talk, specifically the SEC baseball talk, is presented by SeatGeek. And let's hear a word from our SeatGeek sponsor. And there you have it. You can now save with the promo code BellyUpSports. Visit SeatGeek.com, enter promo code at the checkout, and save 20 bucks off your first purchase. I know we got some Swifties in the chat. I know that their Swift concert is going out, so if you want to use it on that, go for it. Or, you know, we help, we'll be having some super regional and regional action coming to you. And then we also have the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs we will get to the later part of our show. All right, we're going to stick it on the diamond. We're going to go to the MLB. And how about this team, the Pittsburgh Pirates? Where in, where in the heck has this team been for the past? <laughs> in AAA. They, they get Andrew McCutche, McCutcheon back. Andrew Maggie, that's a great five years old. He's been in the major minor leagues for like 11 years. He gets his first career hit. So the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're currently sitting at a record of 29, which is the best in the National League. Question I have for you, can they win the NL Central and can they be a legitimate playoff contender? I didn't want to believe in it, but the NL Central looks pretty wide open. I think that, you know, Milwaukee's pitching is not as dominant as it usually is. They've dealt with some injuries uh, themselves and the St. Louis Cardinals look super lost. Um, 
I think that maybe with, with Wainwright coming back or just having returned, that will give them a little bit of stability. But uh, that, that team is really disappointing to me. So I'm all about the Pirates, man. I, that's one of my favorite stadiums. I love the colors. And it's really cool to see Andrew McCutcheon back at PNC uh, patrolling, I guess, left field now and not center. But, um, yeah, good for them. I'd, I'd love to see them you know, at least hang in it till the all-star break, but they, they will have some business decisions to make to keep building this team for next year. I think they'll try to flip some guys like Carlos Santana, um, you know, maybe a Connor Joe, that kind of thing. I don't know if they'll have the heart to trade uh, Andrew McCutcheon again, but I just don't see this team buying in as a seller, but if they're still leading the division at the all-star break, I think they have to, I mean, it's baseball. (laughs) You got to go for it. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting, you know, whenever at the All-Star break, you know, if they're still leading that NL Central, they're leading it right now a couple of games. Uh, The Milwaukee Brewers are also off to a good start as well. It's crazy to me to think that the Cardinals sitting in last place. That was one of my teams. I think that was going to actually win the division. Have shown some flashes as well with their new signings with Dansby Swanson and Coney Bellinger as well uh but yeah if the the pirates are in contention the all-star break i would not be shocked if this team tries to buy in and go for nl central crown because why not i mean the pirates door is going to be open i mean next year you're gonna have this year you're gonna have the number one overall pick you're gonna get dylan cruz in there he'll probably spend like a year or two in the minors and be right there with you know andrew mccutcheon he's probably going to be gone by the time that cruz is there so so cruz is pretty much uh, going to take uh, mccutcheon's role but yeah it just feels right that to see Andrew McCutcheon back at PNC Park uh, after he spent uh, a couple of years, uh, you know, on, on both teams. You know, the Phillies uh, was one of his teams uh, that he spent on as well. Uh, but it's definitely good to see him back. So we'll see if Pittsburgh can stick around. I ultimately think that the Brewers will ultimately take over, especially with their pitching staff. Uh, but I just think that the Pirates are a great story. You love to see it. A great story like this in, in MLB, you know, one of these bottom teams that have been, you know, the Pirates have been one of the worst teams in baseball. And all of a sudden they could, you know, it could quick like that. You know, we saw it in the 2020 season with the Marlins, you know, they went all the way into the playoffs and no one really thought that they could do it, you know, especially with the young core. And you can really have some similarities with this Pittsburgh Pirate team. I think that they have a lot of young players and maybe they're starting to figure out how to balance it out. You know, O'Neill Cruz isn't even healthy right now. So yeah, once you get him back. Yeah, that's crazy. That's their star player. Yeah. So once you get him back, who knows? The world could be there. So, you know, the NL Central is wide open for them to take. Uh, so honestly, if you're right there in it, go be buyers and don't be sellers this year. Go Try and go for it because that's the beauty of baseball. You don't have to be the best team in baseball and have a superstar team. Whenever you're playing hot at the right time, you can go on to win the World Series and you can pretty much be a Cinderella story yourself. So go ahead and ride that ship all the way to the playoffs. I'm rooting for you. Hey, the Braves did it. The Braves were projected to get last in their division like, what, five or six years ago? And now they've won the division every year since. So uh, sometimes you just have that next young wave of players uh, come out of nowhere and, and get it done. I mean... It's cool that uh, McCutcheon's back for the ride, though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll have one more note on the MLB. We had our first year of the MLB in Mexico series. They decided to go 
not only down under, but down across the border to Mexico. And what a game that the Padres and Giants had in game number one. You know, game two was honestly not boring, but when you compare it to, you know, game one, it was a 16 and 11 game. You know, we saw on the graphic on TV, if you're watching it, it was more elevation than, than the Colorado Rocky Stadium by a lot. It was seven over 7,000 feet in altitude, and boy, were the balls flying that night. It was like Manny Machado home run, Tatis home run. Like you didn't need the with three sixty power alleys, man. You just Come like <laughs> you just lifted up. I saw some of them. It was like a four hundred fifty foot home run, like a four hundred twenty. I've ever saw like all the home runs were over four hundred. This is exciting. We'll see if Mexico tries to build, you know, an NMLB franchise. They got uphill battle to climb for that, but they will be back next year. We'll have the Astros and the Rockies. So the Rockies, they're going to be used to the elevation. So we're going to see a lot of firepower. Uh, but uh, did you like uh, this MLB Mexico's uh, series? And would you like to see more of it, you know, in other countries as well? Yeah, I mean, I like the MLB trying to expand the game. It is definitely the most international sport that America hosts. So I would like to see them play a game in the Dominican and and Venezuela. I think it would be fun to just see a few of these international series. These guys come to the U.S. to play. Uh, so I think it would be cool to see the favor be returned. As uh, far as the elevation goes, I learned something new. I did not know it was 7,000 feet at that particular city and stadium. Um, I don't know if the stadium architect did either because he put some pretty wimpy 370-foot power alleys out there i mean they need to take a, a tab from coors field and you know make it 400 to the gaps 430 to center you know something that you know if you hit a true home run and it carries 430 440 feet i mean you definitely deserve it but some of those guys were just hitting lazy fly balls to the left that were we're pushing out so I don't know if I like to see a home run derby as the game, but uh, if they want to put the home run derby there, that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> that would. I mean, just get uh, Schwambi back there, and you can be like, "In yeah, that's back, 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 that's gone." So yeah, I think that if they put that there, you know, you know, we saw Japan. You have like a bun off. You have like a bunt competition instead of a home run derby. So you might maybe, be able to bunt a home run there. <laughs> yeah, really. And the elevation is to set up. And yeah, I think that's a perfect team. The Colorado Rockies are going to love that environment. They're like, ooh, this is like at home for us. We're already used to the high elevation. They might even get nosebleeds. <laughs> we're used to hitting like 500 bombs at, at our well, stadium. The so, athletics. They're going to move to an area with higher elevation than Colorado or very close to it. So could that change the trajectory of their franchise, you know? Right. All, all I know is when I'm playing MLB the show, I try and go for the high elevations and trying to hit 500 so i know that a lot of our viewers do the same uh, so that closes the book on our mlb talk and now we will shift into some playoff talk yes we do have two of our main uh, key sports uh, going on that are currently in the postseason plays. so whenever you get into the month of may you start seeing more postseason plays you know the nba is going to wrap up in june same with nhl we'll, we'll have uh, those two recaps as well but let's go on now at our conference semifinals we have a couple of games going on right now uh, that will probably be finished up uh, once we get this show out uh, so in the eastern conference uh, we had upset at number eight seed miami heat take down the number one overall in the east uh, the bucks four and one and so we had miami the eight seed take on five seed uh, new york knicks uh, so Miami uh, won uh, last night's game well it's last night game this is going to be a couple of days ago uh, but the heat 
one, game number one. Uh, so do, who do you have uh, between the Heat and the Knicks advancing on to the conference finals? Definitely the Heat. I'm riding this team. I mean, I think that you get the dirty work done with the, the Bucks, and then not that the Knicks are a slouch, but I think the, the hard work's past them. I mean, I think they can easily take out the Knicks. They've already gotten one game up. Um, so I, I think that the East is pretty – pretty open um and i think the heat are the hot team yeah i gotta give you a few i mean jimmy butler jimmy buckets he was my dog of the week last week i'm gonna ride with him i think that was definitely key for them uh, to win in game one uh, in new york uh, especially in madison square garden good kudos for the knicks you know they won a playoff series which feels like in a long time uh, but i just feel like the heat if you beat the a team like the bucks especially with a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo. I just feel like their star players are playing hot at the right time. So we both have the heat. Our next uh, Eastern Conference semifinal is the three versus the two seed, uh, the Sixers and the Celtics. Uh, that game is going on uh, currently. Uh, so who do you have between uh, this Northeast matchup between the Sixers uh, and the Celtics? I like what uh, Joel Embiid does, but uh, Jason Tatum, to me, really puts this team over the edge. So I'm going to go with the Celtics. I think they make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. And we've seen that matchup a few times, you know, the the Heat and the Celtics. It's always a good treat. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really good series. I would not be surprised if this goes six or seven. This just feels like a bad-blooded rivalry between these two teams. I'm going to go with the Celtics, too. I just feel like there's this unfinished business. They went to the finals last year, ended up losing to the eventual champs, uh, the Warriors. Uh, so I just think, like you mentioned, you know, Jalen Brown has been playing good. Jason Tatum, Al Horford, uh, the, you know, the last couple of times I've seen him, he's just been burying corner threes like it's no problem, even if he's, like, getting close to age 40. Uh, so I think we both had the Celtics moving on. So now we'll go on to the Western Conference. We have uh, Denver, the one seed, facing off against the four seed Phoenix. Denver absolutely blew the doors off of Phoenix in game number one to take the 1-0 lead. Uh, so who do you have between the Suns and the Nuggets? Uh, pretty boring here, but got to go with uh, with Denver. I mean, we just don't hear enough about this team as a, as a whole. We hear about Jochik, uh some as an individual, but, I mean, this team has been just the master class of the West for several years now. They haven't been able to push all the way through to a championship, but um, I think this might be the year they do that. I think before this bracket was out, I had the Suns taking down the Nuggets, but after what I saw in game number one, I don't know. I feel like I, I was like, I don't know about this Denver team. They were, really weren't playing up to the potential. Well, now they are. I'm going to go with the Nuggets as well. I do think that the Suns uh, will take this, you know, to six games at least. I don't really, you know, a guy like KD is not going to go away. Dante Book, uh, Devin Booker as well. But the Nuggets, you know, especially with the way that Jamal Murray's been playing, he's just put up 34 points in game number one. They have a guy like Jokic, uh, the two-time MVP. So I'm going to go with the Nuggets moving on. And then we have a classic showdown between the six and the seven seed, both upsets. Uh, The Warriors took down the Kings and the Lakers took down the Grizzlies in round number one. So the Lakers and the Warriors, two of these teams uh, who have – history around them. You know, the L.A. Lakers, everybody knows about them, how many championships they won. But Golden State is the modern dynasty. Uh, so, you know, you have the old dynasty versus the new dynasty. So who wins between the two? Well, LeBron versus Steph Curry. I mean, this is a treat uh, for sure. Oh, man, I don't know. This is tough. This is one of the tougher ones. 
I just don't know if LeBron can do it all by himself. Uh, I think ultimately this will go seven games, and I think that Golden State will get it done since they, you know, won it all last year. Uh, I think that they are just a little bit better than what what we're seeing out of LA. Yeah, I mean, LA, you got to give credit to them. You know, facing a team like the Grizzlies, you, you looked at uh, the last game, they beat them by 40. Uh, so we'll see, you know, if LeBron can keep playing like he is. Like you mentioned, he's going to have to have some help, especially off the bench. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is going to have to provide some minutes. Uh, Anthony Davis is going to have to. But Golden State is a team never pick against. I mean, they're just so consistent, especially if a guy like Steph Curry, who just dropped 50 on the Kings. And, you know, they have a guy like Draymond Green as well, who's been relying uh, down the paint. Clay Thompson can bury a three in the clutch whenever it comes time. So I think this is going to be a good series. It just has no way that this is going to be like a short series. Like, you know, either we see a sweep or, you know, team winning one game. I think it's going to go seven games. I agree with you. But in the end, I got to go with the Warriors. Got to go with the champs. I know it's hard to go back to back in a sport like this, but the Warriors have the talent and the the coaching position to do that as well. So the next playoffs we'll do, we'll get a little bit into this uh, since we're already at the hour mark. We still got to go into our NASCAR Neil coverage uh, that we've had this week <laughs> about the race that happened. So we'll go on now to the NHL playoffs. Let's go from the hardwood now onto the ice. And we have one of the bigger upsets in the history of the sport. The Boston Bruins were not only the best team in the NHL, they had you know the most points, the most gold scored pretty much. And the Florida Panthers were the last wild card team. They had the least number of points. And guess what happens? They go into game number seven, tied three to three. Panthers score in overtime to beat the Bruins. And Boston is once again in sadness as the Florida Panthers do the unthinkable. Wait, I know that I'm not a big of a hockey guy, but this has to be one of the bigger upsets in all of sports. Absolutely. And I am. Slowly growing into more of a hockey guy. We're getting the team here in Baton Rouge. So I need to start watching it on TV and seeing it from the higher level uh, so that I can properly gauge the the Federal Prospects League, Rookie League. So, uh, yeah, that's incredible. And then on the West Western side, you had another upset with the yep. Seattle Kraken uh, knocking off the defending champs, the Avalanche. So it's good to see those franchises uh, coming through because so often you only hear about, you know, the Flyers and the the Bruins and the Lightning. So it's good to see uh, some of these expansion franchises and, you know, teams that you don't necessarily think about uh, pulling off the wins. Yeah, it's really crazy. You know, these expansion teams are just firing off the gate. We saw, you know, the Golden Knights, what they did, they've had a couple of runs in the playoffs in their first year. Heck, they made it to the Stanley Cup final. They ended up losing it. But to even be like an expansion team, you know, you have to go through the draft, get the draft your players, pretty much start from scratch, you know, get a new head coach, get a new coaching staff. You know, this coaching staff doesn't really have anything. They're, you know, maybe some of them are just, you know, coming out of the woodworks and coaching an NHL team. Uh, so it's definitely great to see the Seattle Creek, uh, the Seattle Kraken uh, defeat the reigning champs. And that's how, you know, Avalanche was the best team in the Western Conference. Boston Bruins was the best team in the Eastern Conference, and that's the beauty of sports, and that's why we love to talk about it, and that's why we have a show about it. You know, March Madness, you had to see, you know, a 16C beat a 1C. This is pretty much like that, an 8C versus a 1C. We saw the 8C heat take down the 1C to Bucks. So 
it's just the year of upsets and it's going to continue on probably in the college baseball as well. Hopefully not, uh, but we will see. <laughs> but uh, before we close the door on this show, let's hear from our buddy NASCAR Neil. What happened this weekend in the NASCAR world? All right. I have the honor of filling in for Mr. NASCAR Neil himself. Um, he texted me at, at work today that he felt, like most people do during March Madness because they were racing on a Monday um, and he was working, but also watching uh, the Truex brothers get it done. Um, he says the Truex brothers got the sweep at the Munster Mile this weekend with Ryan Truex getting his first Xfinity race win in his 13-year career. Um, and then the Sunday race got pushed to today. Uh, that's why he was watching during the workday and there was Still a wet track and some some crashes going on that knocked out some guys like Ty Dillon and Daniel Suarez. But then with 10 laps to go, Ross Chastain forced another wreck, uh, which knocked out Brendan Poole and caused damage to Kyle Larson's car. Um, and he went 30 laps down to fix his damage and return to the track. By the time he did, it was too late. Um, stage two was pretty uneventful and stage three. Uh, there was some big time action uh, after the green flag stopped with 50 laps to go. Ross, Ross Chastain and Martin Truex Jr. battled it out. And then Joey Logano actually blew a tire with only 12 laps to go. And um, there were eight cars in contention on the lead lap, but Chastain opted to pit and get four new tires and, once he restarted, he was in third place behind Truex and Blaney, who kind of came out of nowhere. And Truex was able to hold on past Chastain, um, ending his 54 race winless streak. Is that true? Wow. So uh, a big time win there for the Truex brothers, um, you know, to hold on on a Monday race, giving the NASCAR world a little bit of weekday excitement. Uh, you know, it, Always a bummer when those races get pushed from the Sunday, uh, you know, when they get all the, the coverage into the work week. So got a bunch of guys like NASCAR Neil watching from their desk as uh, the excitement unfolds. Hey, whatever Mother Nature brings, you just have to worry. You just have to worry about it. And, you know, if you're at work, screw it. Just put on the race, have some fun. You know, maybe you don't have to drink a beer or anything because you'll probably get fired if you put out some alcohol. But... <laughs> Uh, that's going to be it, though. Uh, we appreciate everybody uh, for listening, as always, to the Sports Girl podcast. And I am sure that we will have our trusty and loyal host back on it. Uh, but it was always fun uh, stepping in. You know, I, I am so used to this hosting role as well. You can catch us on SEC Talk uh, in a couple of weeks when we'll be previewing the college baseball field, especially the SEC tournament and also that. And if you haven't reached out as well, we have a new segment on YouTube, Bayou Bingo Bites. You know, this was mainly Chet's project. You, you know, we're all LSU fans, you know, except for Jacob. He's a Penn State fan. But we still – You've adopted we're, him. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much adopted him. Spent the weekend but, here. <laughs> yeah, if you want to, you know, listen to more analysis, uh, we'll be talking about the LSU Bama series uh, and more on that. So hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week. We will see you next year on the Sports Scramble Podcast.